One does not simply walk into geekdom. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. You're a nerd. Damn right. I'm a nerd. Naturally. All things geek are up for grabs. Music. Sketch comedy or sitcoms. Doctor Who. I love Tim. Bert. The Flash. Green Lantern. The Trinity. Batman. Superman. Wonder Woman. The Joker. Wait a minute. I want to talk about the Joker. Star Wars. Love me some Star Wars. Magic. I'm an art guy. Paranormal. Halloween is life. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Hello, nerds and nerdettes, and welcome to episode four of Nerdite Nations podcast. I'm your ambassador representing the Great White North, Melissa Nicholson. I'd like to welcome my co-ambassador, representing the Midwest United States, Jared Boots. Jared, how's it going, eh? Oh, it's going all right. How's it going with you? Ah, as good as it will ever be. You know, life and stuff. <laughs> still freaking hot outside, though. Yeah, still freaking hot outside here, too. Is it fall yet? Oh, I wish. I really wish, but, you know. Although, up here, we, we get a really short summer, so we kind of have to embrace this warm weather while we have it, so I can't really complain. I complain enough for the both of us about summer. <laughs> well, there you go. You got, you got that <laughs> task. <laughs> so, in this episode, I talk about a conversion. Or... How a Marvel fan was seduced by the DC side. Ha ha ha. It was a sunny Saturday afternoon around tea time. Okay, that's not true. The real story simply was I was minding my own business when. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. You know, that is also bullshit. <sighs> Nobody's going to okay. believe you now. <laughs> okay, here we go. The true story. When I discovered Marvel, I dove in headfirst. I liked how lighthearted and fun it was and relatable it all was. The stories had human sides, humor, and obvious imperfections, which is what I loved most. It wasn't about being perfect. It wasn't about being perfect the first time. It was about trying several times before getting it right. As for DC, I found them to be darker, edgier, and their storytelling diving deep into the psyche. It was out of my comfort zone, and I really wasn't sold on it. So I avoided it like the plague and stuck with Marvel. I did dabble, however, because I watched The Dark Knight, and I loved it. But again, that was as far as I went with anything DC. Years later, however... I found myself wanting to dive into graphic novels and comic books. I really didn't know how to comic book, like where to start and what are the good reads. I had a bit of a dilemma because I didn't have anyone who read comics, so I couldn't pick their brain about it. Until I met someone who did, 
Jared. <laughs> Quilty. <laughs> and of course they had they of course they had to be a DC fan. Ugh, of all things. I picked the brain anyway, and I was given recommendations. First thing to do, I went to the library and I found them. The first one I cracked open was the killing joke. It dives, e- dives deep into these character studies and how Batman and Joker at times aren't so different. And what I really liked most was the whole controversy that surrounded the ending of it. So it was kind of neat. Um, that was my unfortunate, if not successful, introduction to a DC comic. Why? Because I loved it. I moved onwards. And the next one I read was Long Halloween. Again, damn it, I loved it. I was drawn into the intensity of the story and the detail and the art. It blows my mind at how detailed the drawings are. And they capture the story and brings it helps bring it to life. What I also liked was all the characters had their place and had their role to play. There were no weak characters or awkwardly placed characters. Nobody ever seemed lost in that world. There was only one graphic novel I got through maybe half and I could not read anymore. It was Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison. That was too fucked up and very dark. I'm not sure why I found it such a tough read, but I dragged through it and eventually I had to stop. I do admire the writing and I do enjoy the fucked upness, if that's a word, but sometimes my screwed up mind has boundaries. (laughs) So, of course, I read more DC Comics and in February of this year, I finally admitted defeat. I was seduced by the DC side. I have been watching um, movies that I said I would not watch and have loved and gotten into a few DC shows like The Flash and Doom Patrol. When reflecting on this, I thought about how much my interests have changed. I went through the happy-go-lucky, naive phase and have now moved on to the more mature, deeper thinker phase. And that is where I think and where I have found my love of the DC stories. And that's my story, y'all. <laughs> and you're sticking to it. I am. Insert mic drop here. <laughs> <laughs> so of all the stories I recommended to you to read when you were first asking for DC stories, which one was your favorite to read? I think my... Oh, it's a toss-up between The Killing Joke and Hush. Those ones were very good, and as much as I did love The Killing Joke, I think Hush is my favorite out of the ones that I read. Like, I love them all. They were all good, but Hush is my favorite. Hush is up there. It's become more, more the, one of the more modern classics. That, came, that one came out in the 2000s, I believe. The Killing Joke is widely considered to be the a bigger classic of the Batman franchise, written by Alan Moore. Um, it's the more it's what people call the accepted Joker origin story. Everybody says, "Oh no!" They, a lot of people will set it as a verbatim Joker origin, mm-hmm. but you, Joker himself says in the story, "If I have a past, I prefer it be multiple choice. Sometimes I remember things one way. Sometimes I remember things another way." Mm-hmm. Another one I think I recommended to you was The Dark Knight Returns, which yes. is also people like to set in stone as a continuity of things, written mm-hmm. by Frank Miller. What'd you think about that one? 
I thought that one was I thought that one was good. Um I thought it was um it was a little bit different. Like it kind of to what I was reading before, it was a little bit like a different take. Like on the character and the writing was was different. Um I can remember like the art itself too was a little bit a little bit like darker, but um yeah i i like that one it was it was interesting i haven't read that one for a while so i was just trying to remember all that happened in that story but i remember yeah it was um it was good yeah i i find the i find uh frank miller's artwork to be a little rough to get through same with uh, the long halloween and tim sales artwork i know you're a fan of the artwork in the long halloween i'm not so much but I do love Jeff Loeb is probably my favorite Batman writer between Hush and uh, Long Halloween and Haunted Night. And uh, what was the other one? There was a three-part trilogy with the Long Halloween. Haunted Night and Dark Victory, I think it is. So those are all good ones. Mm-hmm. Did I, I, rec- I recommend any Superman to you? I think I thought I said Red Sun. Yeah, that was the... Only one that you recommended to me for Superman. Um, and I didn't... I found that one to be... I don't know. I didn't really get into that one too much. Like, I thought it was interesting that they kind of did a different take on Superman and, like, made him this, this kind of different character. But I don't know. I wasn't sold on it so much. It was, it was like, a decent one-read thing, but I don't know. That's what I like to see become an animated feature especially I, I think i told you how awesome soviet batman is how nuts he is <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it was the only superman one it was mostly um mostly batman ones that you batman and flash yeah and it was which it was uh flashpoint yeah, that's a good one. And I recommended Rebirth too, didn't I? Yes, and I read that one. Yeah, yeah. Those are all good ones. And did you have you did you read all the other side stories of Flashpoint, like featuring Batman, Flashpoint featuring uh, the world of Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, the Flash? No, I've only read the. Rebirth featuring the Flash. I haven't read the other ones. Um, we need Flashpoint featuring the, the world of Flashpoint yeah. featuring the Flash. Yeah, that's the only one I've read because I read that one before I read Flashpoint because you had recommended Flashpoint and then I thought that Rebirth one was it and I got it wrong, so I ended up reading that one and I did enjoy it though; it was good. Yeah, yeah Rebirth. Then, Rebirth is more supposed to take place. Years after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, when Barry is allegedly dead, he's been dead all this time, and Wally West was taking his place. When it just revealed that Barry was trapped in the Speed Force this whole time, but Flashpoint is Flashpoint leads more into the New Fifty Two or the re, uh, New Yeah the New Fifty Two uh, continuity where Barry screws with the timeline and yeah. goes back to keep prevent his mother from being killed by the Reverse Flash. Yeah, because they mostly focus on Reverse Flash, right, in that one? Where it's him leading up to that point of him 
uh, killing Barry's mom, right? Well, it goes more along the line. The whole Flashpoint book just reveals revolves more around Barry trying to prevent the war between the Amazons and the Atlanteans, and what well, the reverse Flash is featured in it, and he essentially tortures Barry through most of it. Like, yeah, you went through time. Right. You could you could have kept Hitler in art school, or you could have prevented Kennedy getting assisted, But no, you went back and saved your mommy. Yeah. So all this is you. This this has nothing to do with me. This is from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember. Which which that has left repercussion throughout the whole DC universe, even after Barry fixed everything. Mm-hmm. Silly Barry. Screwing up timelines. <laughs> yeah, I believe I think it was Watch Mojo did a top ten storylines that affected the DC universe, and I believe this was one of them. I can't remember where it ranked, but I want to say number one or number two was definitely Crisis on Infinite Earths, but yeah. Flashpoint was up there. Yeah, definitely. That one was a massive, like a big one for that whole universe. In in recent memory, in recent history, yeah. But now, right now, the current continuity, you got uh, the deceased storyline going on right now, and you also have uh, the uh, Doomsday Clock, which is merging in the Watchmen from the now defunct Vertigo line, and with the DC universe. Yeah, those were two pretty big. Uh, those are two probably the big bigger current storylines right now. Deceased is only two issues deep right now. That's only a limited run. But I don't know how much of an effect that's going to have. It's more more like it's probably just going to be like a what if. Mm. Or what kind of repercussions it's going to have on the universe going forward after the storyline is done. Yeah. So it's not, it's like a theorizing then like affecting the rest of the universe then. Just like you said, like the what if if this happened, then this would like making those connections. And, and that's also a way to look at uh, the Dark Knight Returns back in the eighties when Frank Miller wrote that. And Frank Miller actually, I guess it's theorized that Frank Miller predicted the death of Jason Todd because Jason was Robin at that point, and they talk about Jason dying before Jason died in the comics. Mm. That was kind of predicted. Yeah. Happen. Interesting way to look at it, and that's always that's always considered to be one of the top Batman comics to read is Dark Knight Returns, which it's an enjoyable story. I still haven't read The Dark Knight Strikes Again, which is considered the follow up to that one. And then yeah. there, then most recently, over the last within the last few years, Frank Miller did Dark Knight Three: The Master Race. Yeah, which I, I haven't have, read any of those yet. Yeah, I read. Yeah, I read all three of those. Um, I got into the second one, but I didn't really get into the third. I, I had a hard time with that one. I don't know. It was just, it was a, it was a tough read. Like I almost, I almost like gave up reading on it, but I'm like, no, I'm going to just plow through and finish it. And yeah, I didn't really get into that one so much, but it was, it was worth a read anyway that, you know, at least you read it once and that's it. But First one is definitely the the better one um, of story and characters and and things like that. So, yeah. But all of them are like the other two are definitely worth a read. Um, yeah, third one, yeah, questionable, but that's how it goes. Can't all be gems. <laughs> I haven't quite gotten around to it yet, but it's 
it's on the list of Andrea's things to read. Um, I thought I'd recommend some Green Lantern to you too. Um, the Dark uh, Blackest Night. Yeah. How did you enjoy the Blackest Night? I really enjoyed that one. I got I really like immediately reading it like it was a few pages in and I was like fully engaged in the story and and I thought it was it was good. It was fun. Like I found it like a, a fun read and um yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, the art was pretty cool in it too. It was, that's yeah. that's also another brainchild of uh Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns has really been in a word, almost like the savior of the DC comics within the last 10 plus years, how he brought back a lot of characters to light, like Shazam, Green Lantern, Stargirl, Justice Society. Jeff Johns is right up there with a lot of the big writers of the last few years, um, who's really, he's reinvented a lot of characters. He even, I think he's also part of the huge uh, resurgence of Aquaman, too. Mm-hmm. And um, he's definitely made the biggest impact, one of the biggest impacts over the last five to ten, well, ten plus years in the DC industry mm-hmm. of revamping all these characters. And Flash, too. He wrote Flashpoint. He wrote Rebirth. Oh. So if you had to pick a handful of writers, I think I've recommended a few. You've probably read a few different writers now in DC world. Is there any in particular you like more than the other or for example when it comes to batman i'm more of a jeff loeb kind of guy when it comes to his writing style or even paul if i want something a little bit silly or lighthearted, i like paul dini when it comes to writing batman Not mm-hmm. so, so is there any writers you actually prefer since you switch over to dc um definitely i like uh, Jeff Johns, I think his his writing is is really good. Um, he kind of brings out that like you know he has those a good balance of like the serious and then like the lighthearted sort of fun of it. And it, and it's always like the ones that I've read have always been a, a great read. Like it's been that serious and then he's added in the humor and it's just a perfect balance. Um, I don't so much get into like. Um, Frank Miller stuff. Um, like I liked, you know, um, like his his other like the you know, Long Halloween, right? He did. Oh, that's Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb. Okay, I'm getting Frank right. Miller. Frank I'm Miller. Frank is... Miller is Dark Knight Returns. Right. The Dark Dark Knight Returns uh, series. <laughs> he also did a, he also did a Batman Spawn crossover, which I wasn't really too fond of. It, kind of disappointing. I think there's been numerous crossovers but the one i read i got a so i got i got out of a mixed pack of stuff it was him and todd mcfarland i was kind of that was a little that one was a little disappointing mm-hmm. yeah i definitely um yeah jeff Loeb was good um those were i think i read most of more of his than i had read jeff john's so i was kind of first sort of introduced to him um but I think, as I keep mentioning him, I think Jeff Johns is my sort of my favorite writer, um, because I've you know I really enjoyed his his stories and they've been really good. So, 
And then Jeff Loeb would be like a close second, but fighting for first. <laughs> you can't really place them anywhere because they're both equally um, great writers. So, yeah, Grant Morrison's another. Like you mentioned Grant Morrison, you didn't really get into his Arkham Asylum, a, a serious house on a serious earth. No. Which I'm a fan of his Batman writing, and I've tried to read some of his other stuff. Like people talk about, I read his Wonder Woman Earth One. About a year or two ago, and people want to talk about Wonder Woman being over sexualized now. Read read Grant Morrison's uh, Wonder Woman Earth One. That's that's Wonder Woman being over sexualized. I think <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant, Grant Morrison's definitely a, an acquired taste. He he does fit in well with those more out out there characters like the Doom Patrol and like some of his Batman is pretty good. He did another one called Batman R.I.P., which was pretty good. Yeah. And I think he also had a long run on uh Batman Incorporated. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's certainly like he's he's unique in his own in his own right. And and yeah, like I definitely yeah, with Doom Patrol, I definitely, you know, like his stuff there cuz it just it works for that whole world as quirky as it is. So for him to that's like, you know, totally made for him cuz he's so you know, out there with his his stuff. So, yeah, I definitely it would. It's definitely an acquired taste for him. And maybe I need to like I'll you know I'll give those other ones a read and you know see what I see what I think because I can't just make a judgment off of just one one comic. Mm-hmm. Like you know, kind of have to s- compare to to other ones. But yeah, that one was definitely a a tough read. <laughs> Would there, would there be a character you'd like to see him tackle that maybe would fit him better? Maybe like, would you like to see a, a more Joker-focused story, like Brian Azzarello did post Dark Knight, took a Joker story? Yeah. Do you think that that would be a character he would be uh, better for, and any other character you could think of off the top of your head? Um, yeah, immediately, definitely Joker because he's that really complicated character. And there's so much that you could do with him and you could really dive into him. And I think Grant Morrison could do that. He could bring a lot out of that character and really, yeah, spin a, spin a story with him while also kind of studying him as a character. So, yeah, I would like to see that. That would be pretty cool. It would be very interesting where he would take that character. Um, I don't know what I don't know what else like what other character he could you know explore um, I don't know can't come up with anyone anything else off the top of my head so you've read uh, Kevin Smith's two first Batman books too haven't you yes which is uh, Cacophony and Widening Gyre. What would you think of those? And, the, I, and with and then we ever get Batman Bellicosity, which is supposed to be the third part of that series. Yeah. What did you think of those? I thought they were hilarious. I was not... I was not expecting it to be so funny as it was. Like, I just... it. When like you know you see the cover and you see, you know uh, the some of the imagery and 
I was like, okay, this is maybe going to be a slightly darker story, maybe, or it's going to be, you know, but I didn't realize just how funny it was going to be, and I, I loved it. I really loved it. Um, I couldn't pick one that I like more, um, because they're both equally good. Um, he really, you know, creates a great story and a great, and a great world, and... And I love the part, and I can't remember if it was in the first or second. I think, I feel like the second one, where um, uh, they're on the island, and Aquaman comes to the island. Robin and- calls you Dee Dee? <laughs> <laughs> I, I showed that to Nick, Nick Simons one time, and he got a laugh out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then... And then uh, the thing with the, the dolphins. And the dolphins told me you were <laughs> screaming or making noise or something. And so go help. And, oh, you're, <laughs> you're okay. It's, it's, it's that those, those books are good. I haven't read them in a while, but they definitely have a Kevin Smith feel to them. Yeah. I've read, his, I've read some of his Green Arrow stuff, too. It's about the same. <laughs> Not, yeah. to, not, not to shame on Kevin Smith at all. I find it quite enjoyable. But I think he's said it, mentioned it before on his podcast, Fatman on Batman, because his buddy Walter Flanagan is the one that drew it too. Yeah. Which I believe their series, this this run started right before they launched the New 52. So they're pretty much given free reign to do whatever they want. They're the last ones to do this continuity. So just shut the door on the way out when you're done. So. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want with these characters because we're rebooting them. Yeah, so. it definitely had that feel. Like they're they kind of put them in their own space, and this is what it is. Like there wasn't, I didn't feel like they were trying to connect to something else, or you know, it was just this is the the only story. That's it in their own universe, and they kind of had yeah, it really felt like they had that that freedom to you know do whatever. They to do and they certainly did it so and it was good <laughs> so I, I enjoyed it. i need to pick up those books again and hopefully someday soon he finishes bellicosity so we can get that because they leave in quite the cliffhanger there at the end of widening gyre yeah so yeah i, I hope they make get that third one done come on <laughs> can't leave us hanging too long <laughs> <laughs> so, so you enjoy jeff Loeb's writing have you as you pick up the have you rewatched any of the Dark Knight trilogy since you started reading like Jeff Loeb's run on Batman? Um, watched the watched the Dark Knight, but I haven't watched the other two. Um, I haven't watched so, them recently, so. But yeah, I can I can see it more now. Like I get the the details and things like the stuff that I had no idea about you know, watching it the first time, because obviously I hadn't read any of the comics or anything, so I didn't know the little details, and now it's like watching it, and it's like, ah, I see that. Like, it's just, you know, um, kind of comparable a little bit. Like, you just, rem- like, I'm basically watching it, and then I'm having images of the comic in my head, because I'm like, I'm seeing, oh, that's it. And Especially with the more of the, because the, the mob has a bigger presence in those movies than they do. At least in Dark Knight and Batman Begins, you get that heavier mob influence mm-hmm. with the Falcones and the Maronis and yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, they're a big part in the those graphic novels, so very much part of that. So yeah. And even <laughs> to go off like the you know, like watching the Batman Lego movie. I it makes it a thousand times funnier when you've watched when you've read the graphic novels. I just like it's still a hilarious movie as it is when you just watch it without knowing. But oh my god, it is even funnier when you you know you've read the graphic novels and you just get all the references in it. And you start watching the cartoons and everything. It, it, I remember the first time when I saw the Bat, Lego Batman movie. They mentioned the Condiment King, who's <laughs> just a a random off the wall character that appeared in Batman the animated series. And <laughs> Zach Galifianakis Joker is like, "Yeah, it's all real. Look him up on Google." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You think it's like absolutely ridiculous, but it's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever watch the Batman the Animated Series, it makes an appearance in an ep- a Joker-centric episode called "Make Him Laugh." Okay, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny where a Joker, with the help of Mad, unwilling help of Mad Hatter, uh, Joker takes control of these. Uh, there are judges for a comedy contest, and he turns them into these weird, random superheroes, and he turns one of them into a condiment king who's got a ketchup gun and a mustard gun. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. <laughs> well, speaking of Batman animated series, you read, uh, I believe I also recommended uh, Mad Love to you. Yes. Which is another one that's way up there. And Paul Dini is also another genius when it comes to writing Batman because he's such a fan of that culture in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helps too. Like when you're you're a fan of it yourself you can you know really make a good like solid story in a world that you know very well and i and i really enjoyed that one um i thought it was a it was a good a good story and it it has hilarity and yeah it was uh i I like that like that you know they're looking at the, the relationship of you know Harley Quinn that she eventually becomes and Joker and it's just it's hilarious. He made it funny. You know, such a such a toxic relationship and he made it hilarious. Although this is sort of like the looking at like a early early days, right? But still funny. And that the in the that also comes back to Batman the made series because that's who what Harley Quinn was created for. She started in the cartoon then came into comics. Yeah. And you could tell online when people's girls or people say, I want a relationship like Harley and Joker. Well, you don't really want to base that off of suicide squad. Cause that's a very glamorous depiction of Joker and Harley's relationship in suicide squad. Clearly they've never read mad love or seen the cartoon. Even the cartoon, they cartoon Pulls no punches either. They show well, they don't show it, but they have Joker smacking Harley around in the in the a kids cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw um, uh, like a meme about that recently, and it was like, yeah, and it was like the the Suicide Squad, Joker, and Harley Quinn, and it was just like, I want the the relationship like Harley and Joker, and it's like that's just hilarious. Like, yeah, no, if you dive deeper into that, you don't want to be. <laughs> There's a term for it. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. 
<laughs> Google that, and then you're gonna be like, uh, nope. <laughs> Yeah. I was I was just reading. Uh, I just read issue two of Deceased, and it's one of many. Uh, Harley again goes up to Joker and ends things between the two of them, and they just kind of leave you at that. And Joker has clearly been infected by the disease that's going around, uh, going around the world. So that's only a few panels you get of that. So we'll see. What, where that leads to, but know how many times Harley has left and come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, what stories would you recommend to somebody if they were if they were to come to you and say, "Hey, I want to start reading DC comics." Say, if you had a friend that said, "Oh, I really loved Shazam," or "I loved Aquaman," or "I loved uh, Justice League." What, if you were to recommend some stories to our listeners or to a, or to a personal friend of yours at all, what would you recommend for them to get started? Um, I would, um, and I think it's the, I would, if they love Shazam, I would have them read the, like the Shazam, like his origin story comic, which I think is part of that new 52. Oh, the Jeff Johns run. Yeah. I think that's what because I have that one because I read that after I watched the movie, um, and I think they you know just just to kind of like get to know this the character and the story a little bit more because there's so much more detail in the graphic novels than there is in the movie although they do do very well with bringing that to life like when you you read it and I just you you can see the movie but you also see where they didn't have things in the movie. Yeah, you can tell how they if you've if you read the book, for those of you listening at home, if you read the book, Black Adam is the big bad of the book. But they diverted and made uh, Doctor Savannah, who was a supporting character in the book, they made him the big bad in the movie, which they did they did a nice well of they did a great job of compensating that. So mm-hmm. taking out taking out Black Adam and throwing Doctor Savannah into the fire and having him take over as this big bad from the movie. It's a it was a pretty well served adaptation, I thought. I, I agree. I definitely um, I agree with that because, like, you know, to because I know they want to make you know a second one with Black Adam as the big bad in that one. So it, it's good that they were able to, you know, okay, we're gonna take him out, but we'll put him put Doctor Savannah in and make him the the big you know bad character. And I think he's a strong enough character to be that way and no I, pun intended because he's played by mark strong right <laughs> <laughs> very strong character <laughs> but <it's>... <laughs> um <laughs> pun might have been intended you don't know anyway <laughs> with you um, it's always intended always come on i'm predictable when it comes to my puns <laughs> but yeah, definitely. It was it was cool to see that they yeah they brought that kind of background character and and brought him to the forefront. And I thought yeah, Shazam was a brilliant movie. It was good. Um, and I don't know what I would recommend. Like if they you know saw Aquaman and would you know wanted me to recommend one. I don't know because I haven't read. Well- not necessarily those characters oh, specifically, yeah. or not those movies specifically, but what would you recommend to 
a listener or a friend who wanted to get into DC Comics? I would basically recommend all the ones that you recommended me. <laughs> because I think, um, which would be like, yeah, The Killing Joke, The Long Halloween, Hush, um, The Dark Knight Returns, uh, Flashpoint, and uh, and then Flash Rebirth. Rebirth. Rebirth featuring the Flash. Um, because well, they're... Not, not to be confused with the current continuity right now, it's being called Rebirth, but there is a specific comic called Rebirth. Right. Or, or Flash Rebirth. Yeah. Written by Jeff Johns. Yeah. So I would recommend definitely those ones because they're great. I find great introductions to these characters when you have really no idea kind of who they are. Like, I have a general... Like, I, I going in had a general idea of these characters and sort of knew who they were, but not really. And so these ones really gave a good exploration of these characters and really you got to know them and their world and how it works. And I think those are great introductions. So I would certainly recommend those ones. Yeah. Now, remember when we talked back in our first episode about when we were paying tribute to Stan Lee, how we brought up that Stan Lee helped create most of the Marvel Universe. And I mentioned that DC had all different separate creators of all their characters. You think that helps her? Think that helps DC at all, or does it make not make not make any difference at all, or does it hurt them having so many different independent creators? I think it. I think it helps um, because when you have the same person writing a specific story in a whatever world, it can get tired. Um, because, okay, this, this person is, you know, responsible for all these characters and what they do and, and also responsible for making those connections in the, in the universe. And so it can get pretty tired if it's just one person. When you have multiple people writing different stories and helping to bring these characters to life, I think that that really helps because, they all have their own ideas and imaginations of where they want these characters to go and what they want them to do. And, and then to, you know, even come up with an original story, but then connect it to something else as they're all sort of connected in their own way. Right. They all come together at the end. Um, so I think, yeah, having the multiple writers is huge because it makes all that, unlimited you know you can go anywhere with these characters so it it doesn't become tired after a while it just it can keep going and then even if like they, you know they have these group of people and then they bring other people in on it or you know or they like co-write something and it just they bring that whole new vision to it and i think that's what's important if you're going to keep a, a universe going is having that new eyes, new mind, you know, new creativity, imagination to really keep it going. Um, if you're one person, eh, it might not last too long. Like it might go on for a decent amount of time, but then it might fade off and not become as good anymore. And you bring that new person in and it's like, 
wow, like, where were you, like, you know, however, you know, long ago? And they can recreate that world and recreate the character. And I think that, yeah, having that multiple writers and and artists even, like, new art, new imagery, I think that's very important. Do you have a favorite artist yet? Jim Lee. DC? Jim Lee. Oh, Jim Lee is the best. He's, he's amazing. I agree with you there. Yeah, that's, he's... I can't even pick anybody else. Him. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't even finish your question, and I'm like, Jim Lee. <laughs> I would actually say he's my number two right now, because I think me and you have talked off the air of Joelle Jones. I'm obsessed with Joelle Jones right now, her artwork, yeah. uh, outside of her DC stuff right now, because she's been handling Catwoman a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I now follow her on like social media and stuff, so I've been seeing like postings and whatever, and I really, yeah, I like her art too. It's pretty cool. But if I had to rank them, Jim Lee's number one and she's number two, but they're fist fighting for first. (laughs) (laughs) And soon she's going to be like, Avon calling, slice him. Have you read enough that you would say you have... Any iconic moments in DC history from what you've read so far? Any moments that have stood out to you, like Joker falling in the vat of acid and killing Joke, or Batman fighting the mutant leader in Dark Knight Returns, or him talking to Calendar Man in the Long Halloween? Anything in particular that stands out to you as some of your favorite moments in DC history? I think my favorite. My favorite moment, and it's now. I hope I'm not getting my stories confused, but it's in the Killing Joke that it's that there's the ending with the controversy around it, right? Whether or not Batman kills the Joker. Yeah, that is probably one of my favorite moments because you don't know, you don't know what happens. It's not. It's something that people are continuing probably to guess and theorize and and think about. And I think that's pretty cool. I like those those moments where you know it's such a it's such an iconic moment and it a big moment and then you you're not given the clear picture on it. So I really like that. That's probably my favorite because it is so it it caused such a stir. And it's an interesting thing to think about and like, you know, your thoughts on, you know, what, what could have happened? Did he kill him? Did he not? Like it's, they, they kind of play on that he did, but then it's also still unknown. So that would be my favorite. Yeah. Of all the, of all the moments, I think that one's definitely my favorite because it did cause such a stir. And that, that one left me thinking too, like it, <laughs> I, I thought for a good long while about that one. And <laughs> Have you seen the animated adaptation yet? No. Of, of the Killing Joke. Yeah, it, it's it's okay. It wasn't what I expected it to be. I went and saw it in the theater when they had the Fathom event for it. I was all excited for it. And the Killing Joke is such a short story to begin with. True. And they they to make bump it up to an hour to seventy minutes of content. They threw in a bunch of Batgirl filler and I won't get in to spoil it for you, but it's, 
<laughs> it's every time I watch it from now on, I just fast forward through the first half hour of it just yeah. to get through that. But they do leave you that that hanging ending mm-hmm. of whether or not. And it's one of the last times we got Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy together doing the voice of Joker and Batman, respectively, together. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And I think just because, yeah, that one was. Um, well, it's kind of dis- a little bit disappointing to hear that it wasn't as good, but I'll definitely give it a watch anyway. Well, it, it's mostly just the filler <laughs> they throw into it that's disappointing. And I guess with a lot of these two, they try to recreate the artwork from the book onto the screen. And such the artwork in Killing Joke is so beautiful. It's so you don't see much comic artwork like it, but. Um, it doesn't hit all the detail that the that the book did, but it yeah. still does a good job. And, it, and when you get to that last half of the movie, it does pay tribute to the book, and that part just crushes it. it but just they, I think they could have gone a, a different route with what they chose to fill in for time. Mm-hmm. Like I would have mind seeing more stuff as Batgirl as Oracle instead of. Uh, Instead of what they went with, I don't want to spoil that for you. Yeah, we're supposed, you, be getting, we're supposed to be getting a hush adaptation this year too. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about that one. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I don't know when that's supposed to come out. Later this year, I think. Either later this year or early next year. Okay. Yeah, I'm super excited. When I saw that, I was like, oh, "Yes, <laughs> need to uh, see this." Yeah, well, I think they're trying to keep it in the continuity, the, the continuity of the animated films, which I wish they would do it as its own separate thing, like they did with Killing Joke, like they did with Ga- Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. Do you think that, like, you've seen the Killing Joke animated thing, would you um, want to see them remake it? Like, do something... Uh, oh. could they Could they do it better, you think? Look, it could. The only thing I would change really would be the filler. Pick something else to fill it in to to get that time. To get to, if you you try and get to a set seventy minutes, I would have gone a different route with it with uh, filming all with Batgirl, or maybe do another throw another Joker centric story into it, or the filler. The filler could have been handled much better it's, that's only nitpick if they were to fix it they could have handled that filler much better okay. other than that i wouldn't touch but every time i watch it now i just skip right to the middle of the movie when it when it picks up to the story yeah, yeah that's the thing sometimes it's like okay would you you could have started out with the story itself and then i don't know it seems like they've okay they pieced it together wrong like they should have started out with the main story and then had that sort of filler like in the middle and then ended with the the like the iconic moments and the rest of that story it sounds like they just placed things in the wrong place oh they could have at least you could have you could have done the whole story for the first half and then still leave that, um, but they probably want to have that ominous ending mm. of whether or not Joker is dead or not. Yeah. So 
I'm assuming if I'm not a guessing man, but I'm, or I'm not a betting man, but I'm sure that's probably why they went with it because they wanted to have that ending, but then they have a P they have a mid credit scene anyway. So there's really no point in her becoming Oracle. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think they just really wanted to hang on that ending. So in a way you probably could have done something to add on to the end where you have the, did he do it? Did he not do it? And then maybe just not show him the rest of the movie and show Babs recovering from being in the hospital, from being shot or what, what happened to Gordon after all that went down mm-hmm. to show these steps of her becoming the Oracle instead of having all these things lead up to lead into it, which has something so far out there. I almost want to spoil it for you how ridiculous it is, but I want you to see how ridiculous it is for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So you can kind of see what I'm talking about when you say, because it really is, if anybody really complains about the movie, it it really is that first half hour of it. Mm -hmm. Because they could have, done something stronger yeah uh, probably like their main focus was that ending because it is such a big thing a big event so but it, it's it sucks when they they focus on one thing and then don't really focus on the other so but yeah and you know with a, a, a story that short that they, there was going to be some filler in there just like now with the long halloween and hush, there's so much content in there. Now you're going to see what's going to make the chopping block, what's not going to make the chopping block, and if they're going to piece it together. And mm-hmm. I can honestly admit, I probably I wasn't that impressed with the first trailer for Hush, and I yeah. I wish they I wish they wouldn't keep it in the continuity of the of the film the film continuity that they have going now. I want I want them to make it its own separate thing. Yeah, but they do that so much, like they really. Yeah, that continuity is like no, make it make it its own, make it a good. It's already a a really excellent story. Keep that. Don't just you know, kind of cut out all the good stuff and put in the fluff, right? <laughs> and, and there's just just so much content in that in that story that I don't know how they're gonna fit it all. You, you don't. It's so. I think it'd almost be easier just to make it its own standalone thing. That way you don't have to worry about, okay, well, how is Poison Ivy already in this universe? How is How are all these characters already established in the universe if they're not already? Mm-hmm. So you already got your Superman, but I haven't seen Reign of Superman yet, but they already, they already wedged Death of Superman into the continuity. Uh, so now Superman makes an appearance in Hush, which... That's brilliant how he's weaved in there as being under the spell of Poison Ivy. And mm-hmm. it talks about Bat- Superman giving Batman kryptonite in the event that he would ever go off the rails. Yeah. I really... This in my mind, and I'm not a writer by any means, but it almost just makes sense to make it its own separate thing. It, it almost seems, it seems easier to do also. So that way you don't have to... Figure out how all these events are weaving into the the set universe you have going already. Exactly. Like you should, they should see it as it's. They should look at it as like its own, like you, you know, its own standalone story that 
just focus on that. It's there's a whole world right there, a whole world with characters and content and enough story to go on for days. Like they could make something out of it, and it could be really, really good. Forget, erase all the other connections that are that can be made, or that, you know, that are made. Just focus on that story itself. I think that's that's what would make it really good. Is if they just okay, this is this is it. I don't. Who cares about the rest? This is the story, and we're going to tell it this way. And I have no problem with them keeping uh, Michael Mara that's doing Batman for the the continuity Batman for the animated series, the animated universe they have going on now. I have no. I'm not saying you had to have Kevin Conroy back. You have to have Mark Hamill back as Joker, or Arlene Sorkin or Tara Strong as Harley. That's not going to make much of a difference anyway because Joker and Harley briefly appear in it. Mm-hmm. It seems each character has a quick appearance in each chapter. Yeah. But it just, it just seems it would be easier just for them to say, okay, it's, still in cont- it's not associated with the Justice League continuity that we got going here, Justice League War, all those. It's just its own standalone story so we can tell what we want. And if we want to incorporate Hush into the later storyline, then fine, we can do that. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you're, then you already have something set up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, it's it's all there. Have fun with it, you know. And so. who said that they're probably going to take creative liberties with it like they did with uh, Gotham by Gaslight. They Gotham by Gaslight's not my favorite story. It's an interesting one. But have you read that one at all? I haven't. No. It takes pl- it's a essentially a, a, an Elseworlds story that takes place uh, around the time of Jack the Ripper. So it's okay. Batman during the time of Jack the Ripper. It's entertaining. They took a lot of well, like a lot like killing joke at some of the short stories, so they had to throw some filler into it. Mm-hmm. So they they probably handled the filler a little bit better with Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. Not, not my favorite, but it's still a good one. Okay. So, since Melissa is somebody that travels between both worlds of DC and Marvel, I'm sure you at home are aware of the random comparisons we get between DC and Marvel characters. So now I'm going to ask Melissa some of hers, um, which one she prefers on either side of the either side of the street. So I'm going to list off a couple here, and we're going to see which which one Melissa prefers best, or which one's more preferred. And we'll and see which... where my loyalties lie. <laughs> so, according to the list I'm going off of, which is from Screen Rant, they say this is one of the most infamous knockoffs. So what is your opinion between the similarities between Deathstroke and Deadpool? Hmm. I know, like, with Deadpool, he's, um, like, he's, he's serious, but he's funny. Um, definitely has that, you know, the dirty sense of humor, of course. And, um, I like Deadpool for his... Yeah, like his his uniqueness, and then he's he's different from 
kind of different from everybody else. Like, he's not like, you know, he's not like, you know, your Captain America or your Iron Man or whatever. Um, now, I don't really know much about Deathstroke himself. Deathstroke, um, Deathstroke is, in a way, personality-wise, almost a polar opposite of Deadpool. He yeah. is a talker, and he is DC's greatest assassin next to Deadshot, and they're both up there. But Deathstroke has a insanely high intelligence rate, and he is... And he would be sort of a more darker character? Yeah. Whereas, darker in a way, yes. I guess that's one way to look at him. Like, that sort of... He's got a little bit... If you were to put him and Deadpool in the same room, he would have that little bit more edge than Deadpool, whereas Deadpool is a bit of a... a bit of a wet dishcloth. (laughs) Like, he can be, because he's like... You know, he, he does what he does. Like, he does... You know, he does it well. But he can also be a little bit of a... Yeah, the wet dishcloth where he's just, he can be vulnerable. And not that it's a bad thing, but yeah, he seems more the just a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit less edge, but he still does what he does and he gets it done. And like Deathstroke is just this slightly edgier character. And, you know, him being obviously like the polar opposite of, um, of Deadpool. So it's... You can see the similarities between the two and, you know, kind of thinking about it. Like, as much as I do love, like, I love Deadpool. He's he's a great character. Um, the big similarity is they're both mercenaries. Yeah. That's the big comparison between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, I would probably, probably lean towards... Deathstroke. <laughs> it's a tough decision, man, because, you know. But definitely, like, the... I, I love Deadpool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing him at all. But I think, for me, like, I like those characters with a little bit more to them. You know, they're a little bit more complicated, a little bit more to explore. And... um. That's what I like, so I don't have to say him. <laughs> that, that's a hard comparison. I'm not the biggest Deathstroke man in the world, fan in the world. I appreciate him when he shows up, and then at the same time, Deadpool is definitely the more entertaining of the two mm-hmm. in comic form, movie form, cartoon form, whatever form we get him in. Yeah. But whenever you, but whenever you see a Deathstroke and Batman showdown, you know you're in for a good story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, yeah, Deadpool's there for he's <laughs> he's like there for the, the entertainment side. Like you want to want to have a good laugh. He's like your dude, definitely. Um, but yeah, for for a good fight, a good showdown, it would be Deathstroke, definitely. Like shit is gonna go down. <laughs> <laughs> and we're supposed to be getting another incarnation of Deathstroke here in season two of Titans. So far, we've seen him in. Well, you see him briefly at the end of Justice League in the theaters, and we also see him in uh, Arrow, and in uh, and we're going to be getting him in season two of Titans because Deathstroke is considered to be a big bad of the Teen Titans. Mm. 
The next one, other, this is another close one. Swamp Thing or Giant-Sized Man-Thing? Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. I'd go with that one, too. Another obvious one, Green Arrow and Hawkeye. Oh, boy. Green Arrow. Green Arrow, what do you like about Green Arrow? He's... Do you like all the trick arrows he has, like the giant boxing glove? Yeah. And... I like that, whereas Hawkeye's... He doesn't have that. He's more of a, a bit of a more generic character. Like, he, he has his skill, what he does. And, you know, but... Yeah. Green Arrow has more more tricks up his sleeve, more stuff about him. And I prefer that. <laughs> he's, he's got more it seems like he's got more personality than uh more personality than uh Hawkeye does. Hawkeye's, but I, I, I haven't read I haven't read anything with Hawkeye in it. I've only seen him played by Jeremy Renner in the movies, but as, as we, we haven't gotten we haven't gotten Ollie yet in the movies. We've only had him on T V with Arrow. Mm-hmm. So, but what I've what I've read of Green Arrow, he had, does have a lot more personality than Hawkeye. Yeah, I not, and honestly, like I'm not like Hawkeye's all right, but I don't really. He's not one of my like top ten Marvel characters. He's he's there, but he's not my favorite. So definitely, Green Arrow is is my choice. <laughs> he, he's Hawkeye is definitely an expendable uh, Avenger. Yeah, he, same, same, same with uh, Green Arrow. Green Arrow is probably more expendable than like Batman or Wonder Woman or Superman. Well, exactly. But honestly, if you had the choice to give a red shirt to either one, I would give one to Hawkeye because like he could he could die and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it, it's not as big a deal as like if you were to you know uh, like. You know, Marvel got rid of Iron Man. You know, like that's it. You get rid of Hawkeye. Well, okay, that's fine. It's not, it's not a big impact on the universe. So, yeah. Okay, moving on. How about Aquaman and the Submariner? Aquaman. So you are coming off as a full fledged DC fan now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, this one. This one's not listed. What about the Flash and Quicksilver? We already know the Flash can at least catch bullets. Well, if you watch uh, Age of Ultron, which I do not recommend watching, you know Quicksilver catches him with his chest and his vital organs, <laughs> while the Flash can catch bullets with his actual hands. Mm, I like the Flash, but then I know. A little bit more about that character than I do Quicksilver, so definitely Flash. <laughs> Here's one you're probably looking forward to: Doom Patrol or the X Men. Doom Patrol, hands down. I horribly dislike X Men. I'm gonna say it now. Sorry, Marvel fans who love the X Men, but Doom Patrol's better. There you have it. So I want to end it with probably the most, not the most controversial, with the 
most oddball comparison I've ever read whenever I read these comparisons, and that is those people saying that Solomon Grundy and the Incredible Hulk are similar. No, they're not. No. Well, take away the fact that Solomon Grundy's been around since the 40s. I, the first time I read that online, I was trying to struggle to see how is a man who, a villain who was a zombie brought back from the dead compared to a guy who was exposed to gamma radiation. Yeah. If, if they had a similar story, like if they, they each came back to life or something, or somewhere along the line, they did something similar or they were a similar character and personality Maybe, but no, it, a, a zombie to radiation, uh, no. <laughs> two very paper thin comparisons you can make is their speech patterns, or the fact that when the Hulk first debuted, he was gray, mm. and Solomon Grundy is uh, usually displayed as being gray. Yeah. Though, so maybe, and they're they're both huge hulking monsters. That's really. Paper thin, paper thin alibis yeah. the best. But I think Solomon Grundy, I think for the longest time was mostly he just spoke in the nursery rhyme. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. That's mostly how he spoke. But now he's, I think my, I'm, I'm not saying this is fact is when it had started, but I noticed him starting to do the more Hulk like speak uh, during the first Injustice game. Uh, when he speaks in that. Grundy hurt Arrow Man. Like he talks like how the Hulk is like Hulk Smash. Mm-hmm. That's when or Hulk not like stairs. Hulk don't take stairs. If you know what movie yeah. I'm referring to there, which <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said, paper thin alibis. I'm not stating for facts set in stone that oh, this is when Solomon Grundy started speaking like that. It was. Could, it was it was during the video game, but yeah. that's just when I first noticed it. Yeah, and you can certainly, I guess, you can pull from that, like you could say physicality and speech, but that's not strong enough to say that it is a similar character when they're very, very different. So that's always the one I do not get the comparison to. Yeah, that one's really obscure. You you can't. I think it's like it's a it's a. A comparison that tries too hard when there's nothing. Like, it's... No, it's like trying to catch air. It's like, no, you just can't... You can't do it. And I think people need to realize you can't compare those two because they're so vastly different. This will get people to click on my article. (laughs) How how Solomon Grundy is a knockoff of the Incredible Hulk. Right. Oh, 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 wait. Solomon Grundy's been around since the 40s. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that one's that one's weird, but I guess we know where my loyalties lie. <laughs> <laughs> so of all the different people who've worn the costume of a hero in DC, multiple pers- multiple uh, costume bears. Do you have a favorite Flash in particular? Do you have a favorite Green Lantern in particular? Like, do you like do you like Alan Scott? Do you like Hal Jordan? Do you like John Stewart? Hal do you Jordan, like Guy Gardner? Hal Jordan, definitely. 
Um, the other ones I don't really get into. I think, like, Hal Jordan is just the better Green Lantern. Like, he's just... I don't know. He just is more of a character than the other ones. Because um, even reading it, like, I don't... Yeah. I found I liked... I definitely liked him more than the other ones. I didn't... Like, they're all right. Like, I, I can't... I can't knock them. But, no. Hal Jordan for Green Lantern. Um... Barry Allen, definitely for the Flash. Like, hands freaking down, fight me on it. <laughs> um, I don't I don't really get into the the other incarnations of the Flash. Like, you know, you kind of you kind of get into you know the other characters and stuff, but not really. Well, I Barry Allen definitely for That's those me. I'm a very Hal Jordan guy. Hal Jordan is my uh, my Green Lantern. I wouldn't mind seeing John Stewart in the movies now. It's, it's been talk. There's been talks now. The DCEU is so topsy turvy right now with what's going on with their continuity and everything. And there's been talks of a Green Lantern core movie. Yeah. Which I'd I'd be all for them introducing John Stewart too. Like he's he's probably more of my brother's generation green lantern just because he was the, he was the green lantern they chose for the justice league animated cartoon. But I've just always been a Hal Jordan guy. Always mm-hmm. have always. Well, same with Barry Allen as the flash. Yeah. It's like my, my brother is a Wally West fan. I'm mm-hmm. a Barry it's, Allen fan. Yeah. He's it's no, I don't like Wally West all that much. I, I try to like him, but I found he wasn't. He was slightly weaker. And, they, and, the, and speaking of the show wise, they don't they don't give Wally enough justice in the show. I don't think. No, they really don't. I think they could. I think they could. They they kind of give him that potential, the potential to be more in that spotlight and more give him a more solid foundation because i think they don't really give him that they kind of just shove him in the background and give barry the spotlight well i think also that's the point of them moving him over to legends of tomorrow which i'm still i i haven't watched since halfway through season one so it was long before uh wally was ever on there Mm -hmm. so hopefully he's getting served better over on that show than they are than he was on the flash i it wasn't my favorite on the flash grant gustin show but uh, at the same time, they're also trying to throw so many more people in there. Like I think a lot of Wally got pushed to the background when they started bringing in uh, the elongated man. Yeah. So he's, and he's now like I've noticed like yeah he's um, Ralph has definitely been more in the spotlight now. Like he's kind of become more of a part of the team where he he wasn't as much before. Like he was just this like plucky guy, which he still kind of is. But I think they see him more as part of their team now. And I think they could have done the same for Wally. But they, they chose to kind of shove him in the background. Which I think was kind of unfortunate. Even though I didn't... I I also didn't really get into him. Like, he wasn't my favorite. Um, and even now, like, Elongated Man. Like, I'm slowly warming up to him. But I initially did not get into him at all. 
I didn't really like him. Like, I just, uh, I, I don't know. But I, it's slowly, he has his moments of where, like, okay, I like him. Like, he can be funny. And he, he has those those small moments. Like, when they, in the one episode of The Flash where they, um, him and, and Cisco get shrunk. Miniaturized yeah. and like, oh, stretch that's, yourself that's, up. That's, that's, like, a door, that's a door star. Yeah. <laughs> All that? Okay. Right. See, I can't. I'm still getting used to this wibbly wobbly timey wimey world. So, you know. But yeah, where, because I just, they just started getting into that character because that's sort of at the start of it where they're figuring him out and stuff. Um, but yeah, when they they yeah they're they're miniaturized, and you know stretch you you know try and like get themselves out of it. So try try and stretch, and he stretches himself. He's like, oh my back. <laughs> it's like that was funny, or you know those small moments where I'm, it's like, okay, you're you're not so bad, but I'm still not fully sold on him. What about uh? Do, do you have a favorite? Have you dove much into Robin at all? I haven't. No, there's, but there's I've... a but there's a bunch of different Robins too. I don't know if you had a preference for one of those. I can't. I can't say. I can compare because I have. I haven't really explored him as much, which I, I'd like to. Like I'd like to explore more of these characters. So I don't know. So everybody, first and foremost, thinks mostly Dick Grayson is the front runner for favorite Robin. So I was asked before by a friend to describe the Batman Robin relationship, and I said, "Well, which Robin? Like, there's more than one. <laughs> like, well, there's at least five. <laughs> <laughs> I listed them all off. <laughs> so I know there's more. So you got Dick Grayson. You have Jason Todd, who would die and come back as the Red Hood." You have Tim Drake, who took his place. And then Dark Knight Returns, you have Carrie Kelly. Mm-hmm. And in the current continuity, Robin, you have his, you have Bruce Wayne's son, Damien. Right. Yeah. And I think there's another Robin or two mixed in there, too. Well, I, think there's, I think there's another female Robin in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with. But Carrie Kelly, when I think female Robin, I think Carrie Kelly from Dark Knight Returns. Can't remember what story that was where they had the it was female Robin. I can't remember. I read it too. Oh, it escapes me. Um, but yeah, I didn't really didn't really get into like the female Robin. I thought that was a bit odd. But then it's used to be having like the the like a male being that character. So it's interesting that they went that route. But I don't know. It's well odd. Carrie Kelly, Carrie Kelly jumping in to save Bruce. It goes, it's before the time of Lonely Place of Dying, where Batman is just going off the rails, and Tim Drake figures out who Batman is. He figures out who Nightwing Dick Grayson is, and says, "Hey, Bruce needs you. He's gone off the deep end." So it goes back to the fact that Batman needs a Robin. Definitely. As much as you, he, he's like, I work alone or whatever. It's like, no, you need somebody to, to kind of help him and and guide him and just be that sort of, be a bit of a rock for him because he needs that. Yeah. And like keep him keep him grounded because if he doesn't have that, then he's just he's kind of lost. 
you know, so definitely needs a needs a somebody to, you know. It's a lightning rod for him, like how uh, yeah. Barry Barry has said that Iris is his lightning rod. The Iris brings him back, and that's one thing they like that they start to bring in the show from the Rebirth comic is that Iris is Barry's lightning rod. It keeps it keeps him sane. It keeps him grounded. Is Iris definitely? And I think yeah, she's definitely strong enough to 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 handle that that side of things and definitely handle. Barry when he's you know going through a tough time and she's definitely there for him and it's yeah it's really nice to see that they have brought that into the show because you know he needs that because otherwise he'll if he didn't have Iris he would be (laughs) there would be a lot more like crash and burn moments whereas yeah Iris just keeps him keeps him in line and I like that it's a good Strong relationship there. Is there any off-the-wall comics you'd recommend? Any off-the-wall DC stories? Have you read uh, All-Star Batman and Robin? It's another Frank Miller. It's a Frank Miller-Jim Lee collaboration. So Jim Lee does the artwork for it. I haven't read that one yet. No. It's it's okay. It's sort of like a Batman-Robin it's a Dick Grayson origin, quote unquote. It's where the whole "I'm the goddamn Batman" comes from. <laughs> so, so it's times like that's where I kind of that's why Frank Miller's not my favorite Batman writer. Yeah, like it's it's okay, but it's not the first writer I'm going to pick to read Batman. I'll read his Batman stuff, but it's not gonna be the first one I read. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Like he's he's. He's like, you know, your Grant Morrison, where it's that acquired taste that if you really get into his stuff, you'll get into it. But if you, you know, you don't, you're not going to kind of thing. And that's where I'm at, too. Like, I don't mind his writing, but it's, no, he he wouldn't be, you know, oh, like, rank your favorite writers. He wouldn't be my first. Yeah. Right. So. Mine would be Jeff Loeb, and a close second would be Paul Dini. Because Paul Dini, while he does the more, he does, I wouldn't say more goofier stories, but his aren't as dove in deep as Jeff Loeb's are. Mm-hmm. But Paul Dini also understands the character. He understands the character of Joker. He understands, well, he helped create Harley Quinn. But he understands Batman. He understands the universe and how it works. Yeah. So yeah, he can really bring those characters to life in that whole world. So um, it's good when you you have that understanding. And certainly being a fan, it's like you know, as I mentioned before, you know, being the fan helps. Certainly. Just now sitting here thinking about, it, I'd like to see Grant Morrison tackle a Scarecrow story. Mm. I think with the night with the nightmare stuff, yeah, I think he could really take something. He could, well, yeah, he could really, he could, you, he could have like a. Field day, scarecrows. Anyway, like this, <laughs> field day with that. DC, if you're listening to this, give Grant Morrison some access to some fear toxin and let him go. Yes. Yeah, that would be that would be good. He could he could do well with that. Yeah. I hope they're listening because they need to do this. <laughs> I'm sure Dan DeDio and Jeff Johns and Jim Lee are all listening to us right now. They are subscribed to us on Podbean and they are listening. Hey, these guys got a good idea. Hey, Grant. <laughs> you want to do a scarecrow story? 
I'm sure there's one out there. But I, I think Grant Moore, maybe he could even tackle a Mad Hatter story and go into the Alice in Wonderland look of that, too. He could, that would be, yeah, Alice in Wonderland, and then, yeah, the Mad Hatter would be like, hold my beer, and let's really, you think Alice in Wonderland is is fucked up? Try Grant Morrison's version. <laughs> and I remember telling you that when Grant Morrison, I heard Grant Morrison speak, and if you ever listened to him talk, he he's done like three episodes, I think, at least, of Fat Man on Batman. And he was sober when he wrote Arkham Asylum. Which, <laughs> I, I'm surprised, like, that he wasn't, he he. He wasn't on anything or did anything because wow but i guess if you've got if you've got the mind for it what the hell right he certainly has a vast imagination that is more fucked up than like tim burton and Just say like, like, tim burton like is, you know so doom like we said earlier, doom patrols right up grant morrison's alley it's definitely Something he could do anything with. I'd like to see him tackle like a straight Joker story or a straight Scarecrow story. Something he could really get weird with. Yeah. And he could take it there with it. And put like a little bit of credibility to it too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like it would make it. He has these strong stories and strong characters. And I think he could totally, you know, make that even more. Um, you know, he could he could do well with that. So. Yeah, I definitely admire him for his like vast imagination and just how he takes these ideas and just runs with it and just really opens them up to you know to really different pathways, not just the usual predictable pathway where you really don't know what you're getting yourself into with him. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's definitely an interesting cat. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say? Well, I've definitely made it um, written in stone, I guess, that I'm definitely now more of a DC fan than Marvel. So, But it's the characters that really got me and the stories and... You just, yeah, doing the comparisons, it's like I chose more DC characters than I did Marvel characters. And it's just because of their, they've got layers, they've got more to them, they've got a little bit more edge. And I really like those characters, you know, like, yeah, you like your Deadpool for your entertainment and your humor. And, you know, if you really need to just like turn your brain off and laugh, totally him. But like, if you want to think more and, you know, really engage with a with an environment. DC is definitely that. And, and you look in a lot of like how we said in the beginning. How I believe it was you said in your eulogy to Stanley how he wanted to create more characters that seemed more real, had real life problems. Yeah. And uh, at the whole time you had on the other side of the pond, you did have DC with a lot of these. A lot of these characters are created out of tragedy or born out of tragedy. Uh, Superman's planet blew up. Batman's parents were killed. Uh, the Flash's mother was killed, and his father was jailed for it. So you get a lot of these characters that are also based off a of trip. Uh, have multiple layers, like an onion does. It has layers, like they're like ogres. Ogres are like onions, and they have many layers. So at the same time, DC characters have just as much depth to them as 
a Marvel character would, and it's not the crap on either side. Yeah, well, exactly. Like it's it's they're both equally good, definitely. But I think like Marvel's more like I guess you could only say like for the little bit darker character, well, not really, but would be like Captain America because like he he got frozen and then now he's in this modern world and he's trying to adapt to it. And he's learning. And so that can be sort of your, you know, a, a bit of a tragedy, too, because of, like, Peggy and, you know, how he doesn't have her. But then he, you know, so there's there's that. But I think, yeah, um, with, yeah, it's all those, those tragic stories and going from there. And I, I definitely like that um, because you can make so much more out of that than... But but I do like how Marvel makes them human and relatable and imperfect. I'm not saying that DC characters are perfect. Like they all have their imperfections, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the DC characters are that little bit better, and I definitely like them a lot better. (laughs) Well, maybe when you get a chance to watch more of the DCEU movies, like. Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League. I'll, maybe I'll ask you to compare the two cinematic universes, MCU and DCEU, before we the DCEU gets rebooted altogether. Um, yeah. Which one do you think has shown the uh, a better portrayal of how the real world would handle heroes like this? What, have you seen Man of Steel? I haven't, no. So maybe, so maybe, maybe have you watched that one in BVS and some of those other movies? That way you can make a fair comparison. Okay, how how yeah. would the real world really accept it? Because I think that's what Man of Steel really does. It tries to. I sometimes the world wouldn't accept Superman with open arms. Yeah, and that's what I think. Like with you know all the Avengers stuff and like breaking New York and. And, like, people were all like, yeah, you saved the world, and they're happy about it, and they're celebrating. And as you see through, like, they they do that whole montage of, like, the different newscasts and stuff, and it's like, they're all happy about it. And it's like, well, in the real world, they wouldn't be happy about it. They would be like, this is going to cost money to repair. We're going to probably sue you, that's, <laughs> sue you fast. That's probably the mistake there with Tony Stark coming out at the end of the first movie, admitting he's Iron Man. So now we have somebody to go off, go after Right. When they tear, they tear apart New York City or so on, so on and so forth. Yeah. So yeah, you have that that company that oh we're gonna he has got money. Well, we're gonna just milk that right if anything were to happen. And they you know they kind of do like they have those the government connections and like the government wants the Iron Man suits right. And he's like uh, no. And so yeah, it's that whole government getting involved and. But I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll have to compare it, like watch those, and then and then see how those um, compare. Yeah, and you see if you when you watch BVS, and especially the extended cut of it, you there's a lot of talking news heads that will say, "Well, Superman is this, Batman is this. These guys are taking the law in their own hands." And some will view Superman as a god here to save, as a false god here to save them. Mm-hmm. When he essentially leveled Metropolis, trying to fight Zod and Man of Steel, or leveled Gotham City, so you're gonna have you you'll see both sides 
of the story, kind of like how you read in Dark Knight Returns, how you had the talking heads were were for Batman coming back, talking heads were against Batman coming back. Mm-hmm. It, and that thing does a lot of you hear of the chicken or the egg. Who came first? Does Batman create these crazies? Or was Batman created because of the crazies? So, mm. yeah, definitely a, a lot of questions there. So, so we'll we'll remember to put a sticky note on this one, a pin in this one, and so after Melissa watches some of the DCEU movies, the, the Zack Snyder DCE movies, BVS, Man of Steel, Justice League, we'll we'll come back and say how Melissa feels about how. They attack how the real world would accept these heroes, as opposed to how the Marvel universe would. It. I can already kind of see how they would be definitely different. So just based on from you know the Marvel movies that I have seen. So, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, definitely share my thoughts and uh. I think it's a. I'm probably going to get added a lot on social media for this about how. As much as I do love Christopher Nolan's Batman Dark Knight trilogy, the fact that he limited it to me and so realistic, it really cut a lot of string. He put tied some hands behind his back. Well, if I'm making this so dead set in reality, well, it limits to how I, I, I can't do Joker falling into a vat of acid. I can't have Bane using Venom to make himself super strong and super huge. I can't do Superman. I can't do Wonder Woman. I can't do all of these. Because DC has, just like Marvel, has a lot of fantastical creatures and characters in it. So I think Chris Nolan, as much as I love his movies, uh, especially The Dark Knight, Mm -hmm. he really limited himself to what he could do. But Zack Snyder is trying to... tried to set these characters in the real world and how's the real world going to accept an alien coming from another planet? How's the world going to accept an Amazon God? How's it going to accept a man who is both has a parent from Atlantis and a parent from uh, who's a human. Mm. So I think that was a better approach to how they're going to accept these heroes or in suicide squad when the switch does all this stuff, how's the world going to accept them? Exactly. And I think that's like it's an interesting question to ask because like it's it opens it up to so much more. Like they they do these characters do what they do and they try to engage with that world and you know they got to deal with the fact that you know society might not appreciate them, you know. And and what I'm reading now in the deceased storyline with Wonder Woman and Bat no 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 sorry. Last night on Earth with uh Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's last uh, run on Batman together, where it sounds like one of the the people that these that these heroes are saving, led by Lex Luthor, started an uprising. So they went after the heroes. Then they started going after the villains too. And Wonder Woman says in the first issue, maybe they didn't want saving to begin with. Mm-hmm. So some of these heroes, or some of the the common public, will. We don't want Batman. We don't want Superman here to save us. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's interesting. Interesting viewpoint, certainly. And I'm sure it would be very realistic to, you know, if you if we actually had 
superhumans. We wouldn't accept them very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and I think uh, I think that's what the Brightburn. I think that's what the Brightburn uh, saga. I didn't get a chance to see that in theaters. I do want to see it because it's supposed to be like an evil Superman yeah. type thing, and it sets up an evil. It sets up like an evil hero verse. Mm. I think that's what's trying to set up. Okay, that's. And I could go on and on about this. This is why the whole Batman doesn't Batman v Superman thing is. Why does Batman not like Superman? Because he's this alien who could enslave the whole planet if he wanted to. Who could stop him? Exactly. Yeah, he's got this power. Well, try and try and stop him from achieving that. And it's in they're, they're basically, and you'll see a lot of debate in that in BVS. That's that is the main focal point of BVS. A lot of the moral dilemma. Thank essentially, thank God Superman's on our side. But what if he wasn't? Mm-hmm. I think that's what Brightburn is trying to take to flip that. Okay, what if Superman was evil? What if Wonder Woman was evil? What if Aquaman was evil? Mm-hmm. Which I'm intrigued to see this movie whenever it becomes available for digital or rent. Yeah, I definitely want to see it too. I think it's uh, looks pretty intriguing, interesting take on things. So, yeah, I'd be excited to see it. So, long story short, I won. Melissa's on the DC side. And that's not saying I, I completely crap on Marvel. I do love Marvel. Um, as we talked about in our Stanley tribute, uh, Groot is my favorite character created by Stanley. And I do have characters in the Marvel Universe that I like. Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Rocket and Groot, um, Deadpool. I really Those are characters I do read in the comics, too. And I said... I believe I said in my eulogy that, or when I said that Groot was my favorite, created by Stan Lee, that a lot of the characters I like don't appear in the MCU. So Wolverine hasn't appeared in the MCU as the date of this recording. Deadpool technically hasn't appeared in the MCU continuity of these. But Rocket and Groot have. Mm-hmm. Ghost Rider hasn't appeared, unless you count, well, he's in, I know he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield is. I haven't watched Agents of Shield, but it is that is considered part of the continuity in the Marvel movies, hasn't it? I. So I think that's where Age, Age of Ultron picks up, and that's how that agent came back too. Was from Agents of yeah. Shield, wasn't it? Yeah, they picked up from there and then kind of continued that sort of story. Although I, I like I, I haven't seen it either, um, but I kind of know where they they're coming from with it and how they're continuing that story. So. Yeah, I think they, yeah, they're picking up from that and then going onward. Yeah. The, only, the only other Marvel character I enjoy that's made quick cameos in the MCU is Howard the Duck. I'm a Howard. I, I, so I guess you could say I like a lot more of the oddball Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Howard the Duck, Deadpool, Rocket Groot. Yeah. And then more I, serious ones like Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely like the same on, on that front. Like, you know, your, your mainstream superhero i definitely like i said in my you know first episodes like i love iron man definitely but like i also love yeah i love groot and rocket and you know just these the more background characters because they're so like um underestimated i think they're just they're there in the background and then you've got everybody else in the spotlight and you know 
Um, I think it's maybe maybe it's a psychological thing that well I'm kind of in the background, so I'm gonna relate to these <laughs> background characters. But yeah, I definitely like them like them as well. So you know, I can I can appreciate the background characters too, not just all mainstream superheroes. So well, we could have both agreed the moral of this episode is I won. Yes, you won. <laughs> totally did. <laughs> DC's not so bad after all. No, it's not. Like, hell, I had um, an Iron Man. I had the Iron Man arc reactor as my phone background. For those of you listening at home, it's now the Joker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> those of you who can't see Melissa's phone screen, because this is an audio podcast, not a video one. <laughs> Yeah, it's now yeah the Joker and he's holding up the playing card with. Batman. It's one. Of, it's one of the, one of the posters or alternate photos from Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty uh, iconic moment when that happens when so, Iron Man's arc reactor gets beaten out by Joker. So, so that when you now that you've dipped your toes in both pools, you see where I'm coming from now. Where DC's got better villains than Marvel. Yes. I'd say Batman's rogue gal- rogues gallery alone has uh, better villains than most of Marvel. Mm-hmm. I think, like, yeah, perfect example like Thanos. Like he was, he's still a pretty badass character, but how it ended with him, I think, a little bit weak. And I think he himself was openly vulnerable. And yes. Like, villains can be, and they are, kind of deep down they are, but they got to be more than that, and I think the DC villains bring out more of that evil than Marvel. Again, Jared won. (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. You heard Melissa say to herself, I won. So I would call that a good finishing point. (laughs) I should just fade to black right there. Jared won. <laughs> roll the roll the post credit music. <laughs> watch watch for a post credit scene. <laughs> so Melissa, where can where can people recommend more DC stories to you at? They can recommend more stories that are DC ones to me at on Twitter at Miss Melissa N and it's spelled capital M I S S underscore capital m e l i s s a underscore capital n and it's the same handle over on instagram um but this one is just all lowercase so you can find me there and all my delightful quirkiness where can they find you you can find me on the tweets and instagrams at qca mr j tribute to my favorite character the joker obviously um we can also now tell you that we have an email address so you can reach out to us, send questions or comments to us or episode suggestions uh, that you can find us at nerdnightnationspodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at nerdnightnationspodcast. So episode four in the books. Uh, we have more episodes planned I don't want to say anything now because. You can't spoil it just yet. Not well, yet. 
have many, many more, and I think you will enjoy them all. They're very different from each other, and um, it'll be an interesting conversation that I look forward to. And I want to say thank you to everybody who has liked and shared our podcast so far and subscribed to them and commented. Please keep it coming. We we do it all for you guys. So it's not just it's just not for me and Melissa to get our to get our kicks talking about nerdy stuff. It's we want everybody to feel included out there. Mm-hmm. We want to spark conversation and spark debate and, you know, bring it out on, you know, social media or, you know, even have conversations, that, you know, with your friends about it, you know, and hope that we've inspired you in that way. That's our goal. And if we don't know anything about it, we'll at least fake it or look it up to do something about it. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> thanks, Google. <laughs> Pretty much. That's what, I was, that's what I was doing during the last episode when we talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Uh, guys, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. But before we go, we need to quote our leader, the great Gilbert Lowe, and say, we're nerds, and uh, we're pretty proud of it. See you next time, guys. Thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.